um, what makes the blood of Jesus special? What makes the blood of Jesus um, special? Why couldn't the blood of Abraham or the blood of Zachariah or the blood of John the Baptist or you know any of the prophets, why couldn't it suffice? Anyone wants to help us with that? Why was the blood of Jesus special? Anyone else try faith? Don't try. Sinless. Um, can you explain if you're in a place where you can talk? Don't explain. Okay. Um, I remember there was a time you, I think you were talking about weaknesses or something, and then you explained how there was uh, an earthquake when Jesus died, and how the blood, um, the earthquake <laughs> not taking the blood of Jesus. And it signifies how sinless the blood was. Um, with reference to that of Abel, I think you were doing like a comparison or something. If I can remember clearly, permit me. But then, okay. Um, the reason why it couldn't have been any blood, we couldn't have been Abraham or, or John, was because one, they were born of uh, a woman and Intercession between a man and a woman and signifying the sin nature and all, but then that of Jesus Christ was mainly from God and signify righteousness, and it was only that blood that could pay the price for mm. the sin of the world. Yes. Okay, 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 great. Um, so Sin, you want to help us? Any answer from your any contribution from your own end? What what made the blood of Jesus special? Well, I agree with um, Faith's um, conclusion also because it was without sin. It was it was literally sinless. So, yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you, um, Faith. I just remember. I mean, I was. I just remember that I actually explained that during um, we were talking about witnessing. Yeah, we were talking about we were talking about praying um, the legal prayers, right? I was talking about witnesses and, and all of that. So yeah, I just remember that I explained that. So yes, you are correct. The blood of Jesus was sinless. And um, why was it sinless? Because um, think about it, everybody in the world, the Bible had condemned, the Bible has condemned everyone to sin. So how come the blood of Jesus wasn't sin, um, didn't contain sin um, like the rest of us? All right. And so just to you know build on what faith already said, if we read first Timothy chapter two. Um, I'll just read this quickly. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Um, first Timothy chapter 2, yes, verse 14. And so it says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So I just want to explain something, and that's why I read this verse. And it's the fact that when Adam and Eve sinned, Right, we generally say Adam and Eve sinned and you know they fall in the Garden of Eden. But what really happened was that the woman was deceived, right? And that's what the Bible clearly states here: that the woman was deceived. It was not Adam that was deceived, meaning in that whole arrangement, and that's why the devil went through the woman because he knew that 
it will be difficult to deceive Adam. So he went to the woman, deceived the woman, and the woman brought the fruit for Adam to eat. So the woman's offense was that of deception. But Adam's offense was the actual sin. Adam's offense was that of rebellion. So Adam knew that he was going to eat this fruit that God said he shouldn't eat. And he went ahead to eat the fruit. So that was outright, outright, outright rebellion. And it was from because of that rebellion that uh, man sinned, right? Uh, we had we have the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Now, because of that, the sin nature is contained in the man. So I, I need to explain this now. The 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 sin nature is contained in the man, all right? Um, now, generally speaking, we say yes, it's contained in every human being. But if we want to drill down further, um, furthermore, you see that the sin nature is contained in the man. And so, therefore, anyone that is born as a, as a union of, the, of man and woman would automatically contain the sin nature. Why do I say so? Because if you read um, Genesis, okay, I didn't plan to read this, but let me just read it quickly. Genesis chapter 2, when God was, okay, sorry, chapter 3, when God was dishing out the punishment for the man, the woman, and, and the serpent, he said in verse 15, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. They shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So the enmity was between the seed of the woman and and I mean, biologically, we know that the woman doesn't bear the seed. It's the man that bears the seed. So what, what, what God was referring to was a prophecy that was going to come in time, that God was going to put enmity between, between the woman's seed. And who is this seed? We eventually get to find out that this seed is Christ Jesus. So the reason why Jesus' blood was still sinless was because he was not a product of the union of a man and a woman. However, there is nobody on earth, and there will no, never be anybody on earth, that wouldn't be a product of, of a man and a woman, okay? So because of that, um, because of that arrangement, because Jesus Christ didn't come through the union of a man and a woman, so his blood was still sinless. He was, um, he was a product of the Holy Ghost and um, the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowing the woman, all right? So his blood was still sinless. And that is what makes the blood of Jesus powerful because based on the, um, based on the, situation man found himself in, um, it was such that, first of all, no, no other being aside from man could have paid the price, all right? So man had sinned, and by the law and the ju justice of God, it would take another man to, to pay for that sin. However, the man that would pay for this sin also would have to be sinless. And so it was, it was I mean, if you look at it, it's, it's like... Um, like a like chicken and egg situation. So man had sinned. Okay, he had to pay for his sin. Someone had to die for that sin. But there was no other man that could die for that sin, for that sin that he had, he had committed because every other man that would come after him would have contained sin. And he, and for that payment, it, God required a sinless man. And so what God had to do was that he had to come by himself as man. However, this time, not through the union of a man and a woman, but the power of the Holy Ghost overshadowing the woman, and then that's how Jesus Christ was born. And so because of that, because of that, the seed of the woman, who we now find out to be, who is Jesus, was a sinless seed. So that seed did not contain sin as a nature. 
And he now first of all, he didn't contain sin as a nature, and because of that, he couldn't commit sin. So Jesus Christ was the perfect person to take away um, our sins and to pay the price for our sins. And um, you know, and now here we are, we're all free. So I just wanted to start with that to show us why the blood of Jesus was was sufficient and why the blood of Jesus was the only blood that could ever pay for our sins because every other blood would, would have been would have contained sin. And you know what this means is that even if any man, right, let's assume somebody comes and says, oh my God, I have committed so much sins. I acknowledge that I'm, I'm a sinner. You know what, God, kill me. Let my sins be paid for. Even if the person gave his own life to pay for his own sins, even his, at that, his blood will still not be sufficient to, um, to, to pay for the sins. His blood will still not be sufficient to, um, to, for God to say justice has been um, accomplished. All right? So it was not just that God wanted any blood to, to spill. No. It had to take a sinless blood to spill, right, um, for our sins to be paid for. Okay? So, yeah, I just want to start with that to, to let us know why the blood of Jesus was um, the only blood that could pay for our sins. And the reason is because his blood was the sinless blood. Why was his blood the sinless blood? His blood was sinless blood because he wasn't a product of man and woman. He was a product of the Holy Ghost overshadowing the woman. And why is that again? Because it was Adam that committed the actual sin of rebellion. The woman was deceived, just like we saw in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. The Bible says that it was the woman that was deceived. The man was not deceived. The man committed a conscious, rebellious act against God. And so in him contained the seed of rebellion. And so every other person born as a union of man and woman um, was born into sin by default. Okay? And then that, um, and that's why nobody before Jesus Christ could pay the price. Not, not even Abraham that was a friend of God. Not um, David who was a man after God's heart. Not any single person, no matter how powerful the person was, he could not pay for our sins because it would require a sinless blood. All right, praise God. So let's continue. Now, today, what I want us to, to look at is, um, like I said, the work of, of the blood of Jesus. I just remember what I posted in the group, that it's going to be a bloody night. Um, well, in a sense, yes, it will, because we really want to look at the blood of Jesus in, in three different, on three different layers and or in, in three different approaches, okay? So I want to see, first of all, what the blood of Jesus did as regards... Um, towards God, what the blood of Jesus did towards Satan, and thirdly, what the blood of Jesus Christ did towards us. All right, so we're looking at the blood on three, on three, um, in three directions, towards God, towards Satan, and then towards us. Praise God. All right, so, so let's go in. Um, if you were with us, if you, if you joined us for Bible study when we studied, um, when we studied legal prayers, um, you you'll see that some of the things that I'm going to say, I, I already mentioned it there. By the way, if you were not, if you, have, if you didn't join us for that Bible study, please go to our podcast and you would find it available. So right away, I'm just going to drop the link for for our podcast. So please go to the podcast. You find it. You find it where we studied. Um, um, what was the topic again? Such please remind me. What was the topic? We studied on prayer. The three dimensions of prayer. Yes. We started on the three dimensions of prayer. I think we had to use two, um, two Bible study sessions to cover 
the topic entirely. But anyways, please get get the podcast and listen to it. Um, you would you would understand deeper what we're talking about. So first of all, want to establish is that God is a righteous judge. So yes, God is a loving Father. God loves all of us, but God is a righteous judge, meaning that the things He does, He has to be just in everything that He does. Um, else His His rulership would be contested, you know. And God is a God of justice. He's not just a God of love, but He's a God of justice. He's not just a God of forgiveness, but he's a God of justice. He doesn't only just show mercy, but he also is a just God. Meaning, in anything that he does, justice has to be balanced out in that equation. If there is ever is an equation where justice is not, is not satisfied, then the enemy will come and accuse. Then, I mean, devil will come and say, Lord, but you did, you are, you right now, you are, you are unjust in what you did. And if you're unjust in what you did, that means you can be also unjust in my favor and recall me back to heaven and it will just be a messy situation. So God has to maintain justice because the Bible says that righteousness and, and, and truth are the foundations of his throne. So his throne is built upon righteousness. Righteousness means dealing rightly with everyone. Okay? And so having noted that even in the coming of Jesus Christ, God had to be just in his coming. What I mean by that, like I said earlier on, Man was the one that sinned. It was not an angel that sinned. It was not an animal that sinned. It wasn't a. Um, it wasn't the moon that sinned or the sun that sinned. It was man that sinned. Meaning that if man was the one that sinned, then it will require another man to take away sins or to pay for the sins. And so God knew that, and that's why He couldn't just come from heaven to pay for the sins, even though He was He was God and He had all power. You know, Jesus Christ could have just appeared one day and died on the cross one day and gone back, gone back to heaven one day and everything would have been settled in one day, right? But no, he couldn't do that. God could have sent maybe angel Gabriel or Michael to say, you know what, the devil is giving men, a man too much problem. Let's go and deal with him. But no, God didn't do that. What God did was that he came in flesh, just like every other person on earth was born, he came born in flesh. I mean, with the exception of the fact that he wasn't a product of the union of a man and a woman. However, every other thing was through, through, through the flesh. You know, the only legal, the only legal window or the only legal portal for a human being to come into this world is through the womb of a of a of a man. Um, I'm sorry, through the womb of a woman. It is only through the womb of a woman. Can anybody come into this world? And God knew that, and he himself said that. And, and because of that um, arrangement, God knew that he had to be born. Even though he could have as well appeared on the earth and, you know, be walking on the earth and do what he wanted to, but it would violate his own principle, right, to, to operate and to exercise authority on the earth if he was not born of a woman. And so Jesus had to come and be born of a woman. I'm saying all this to just show you how how much God is, you, how much God is a legalistic and a righteous judge, right? He, he himself wouldn't violate the law that he set by him by his own hands. All right. And so let us look at what Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Anyone there should please read for us. Romans chapter 6, we'll read verse 23. Anyone there should please read for us. 
Okay. Um, no wonder. Okay, Tosin, you want to read? Um, yes. All right, go ahead. Wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah, thank you. So this scripture says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, right? Where I want us to just drill deep in is the part that says the wages of sin is death. Um, by simple English, wages means payment or let's say salary, meaning the salary for sin is death, meaning that if somebody works so hard, works so hard and he sins, you know, what the person, the person's payment is that this person should die. So death is the legal payment for sin, okay? And I will point you out something. It says, um, it says the, for the wages of sin is death. Now, it didn't say sins, right? It says sin, singular. If we had said sins, it would mean um, several actions or, or the, the, the specific actions of sin that you committed, right? But it didn't say sins. He said sin, singular, meaning he's referring to a particular kind of sin. And that is the sin that Adam committed in the Garden of Eden, the sin of tree sin, when he disobeyed God, right? And the Bible says that the wages for that sin is death. And if you read, um, read Romans chapter 6, the whole of chapter 6 and into chapter 7, you understand the concept of substitution, where the Bible says that one man sinned, so also, uh, just as one man sinned, so also righteousness came by one man. Meaning that if it was a man that sinned, then it would take a man to undo what was done, just like I've, I've explained. So the Bible says the wages of sin is death, meaning there is a pending penalty of death that has been hanging over mankind right from the time that Adam sinned. Meaning from the day that Adam sinned, there was a penalty of death that nobody has sufficiently Nobody had sufficiently paid up until Jesus Christ came. So that penalty of death was still hanging. And that is, is, is for that reason that if we read the book of Exodus, the Bible lets us know that the Israelites will come and, and, and present a sin offering year after year. And Hebrews tells us that the sin offering did not have the capacity to take away sin. Um, that's the sacrifice of goats and of bulls and of cows and all, all the animals. It did have the capacity to take away sin. And because of that, the Israelites had to come and renew, renew that, um, that sacrifice every year. It was almost like saying you are doing your Netflix subscription. You have to subscribe every month or every year, as, as the case may be. And it was, it was almost like when, they, when the blood of bulls and cows were offered, it had an expiration date. And after one year, it will expire. So they had to come and renew again. And they kept on renewing it year after year because... The real penalty of sin, no debt, nobody's debt had the capacity to take to pay for that penalty. Not an animal, not a human being, not anything, not angel, or nothing. No one had the capacity to pay for the penalty of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so God in his wisdom had to now send Jesus Christ to die for us. And this is what happened when Jesus Christ died for us then that penalty that has been hanging for several years, for decades and centuries, that penalty was eventually paid by the blood of Jesus. Now, the first thing I want you to note now here is that the blood of Jesus, remember what I said what we're doing tonight, we're looking at the blood of Jesus in three directions, towards God, towards um, the, um, the enemy, Satan, and towards man. 
The first thing you, we need to establish and we must be conscious of is that the blood of Jesus, first and foremost, is towards God. The person that required blood is God himself. He is the one that said the, that said the wages of sin is death. He is the one that, as a just God, he is the one that requires blood for the atonement of sin. And let us look at this scripture. Um, so the first scripture I want us to look at is actually Leviticus chapter 16, but it's the whole chapter. So I'm going to summarize that whole chapter, all right? Then we're going, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 9. So the summary of Leviticus chapter 16 is this. God gave the Israelites an instruction saying that um, you guys will come before me once every, once every year to present an atonement for your sin. The word atonement is a legal word. The word atonement means um, the word atonement means paying for paying for what has been owed is a, a legal term, right? Meaning that if something is being owed, then you need to come and pay it off, okay? And that's what pretty much atonement means. So God says that every year the Israelites will come and make an atonement for their sin, meaning they'll come and make a payment for their sin. And it so happens that in the realm of the spirit, your money, your, your dollars or your pounds or your naira doesn't have any value. What has value in the realm of the spirit is the blood, okay? And the blood is the only payment that the realm of the spirit acknowledges. And even if you want to say, you want to look at it from the demonic part, um, side of, of things, you still see that they always look for blood. The realm of the spirit only acknowledges blood as a legal, as a legal tender, just like you can go to the markets and buy stuff with money, with cash, with currency, it's all. It's the same way also in the realm of the spirit. You want to you want to engage in an exchange. You need blood, all right. And so, God told the Israelites and said, "For all the sins you committed for the whole year, you come once every year and make atonement. You come and pay for those sins. And what 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 would that look like?" Um, Aaron, the high priest, would take one, one animal, one ram, and in that ram will represent the sin of all the people. He will slaughter the ram in the presence of all the people. However, he will take the blood into the Holy of Holies, okay? And then he presents the blood alone in the Holies of Holies. Whereas the animal will be sacrificed in front of everybody, but the blood, right, will be taken into the Holies of Holies and only him could go there. So right from that time, God was beginning to signify to the Israelites something. He was, you know, the Bible says that the Old Testament is a type and a shadow of things to come, but the fullness is in Christ Jesus, right? Meaning the fullness was accomplished in Christ Jesus. So God was showing us a, a forecast or he was showing us, you know, ahead of time what the blood of Jesus Christ will do. So um, just the same way Aaron the high priest took the blood into the holies of holies, God was telling us that it is the same way the blood of Jesus Christ would be taken right into the holies of holies. And so let's look at the accomplishment in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 8 to 14. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 8 to 14. Anyone that is there can please go ahead and read for us. Hebrews chapter 9, yes, verse 8 to 14. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 8. Now the Holy Spirit uses the symbols of this pattern of worship to reveal that the perfect way of holiness had not yet been unveiled. For as long as the tabernacle stood, 
It was an illustration that pointed to our present time of fulfillment, demonstrating that offerings and animal sacrifices had failed to perfectly cleanse the conscience of this worshiper. For this old pattern of worship was a matter of external rules and rituals concerning food and drinks and ceremonial washings, which was imposed upon us until the appointed time of heart restoration has arrived. But now the appointed one had become the king priest of every wonderful thing that has come, for he serves in a greater and more perfect heavenly tabernacle, not made by man. He had entered once and forever into the holiest sanctuary of all, not with the blood of animal sacrifices, but with the Um, Faith, I think we lost you. Hi there. Okay, let me read, let me continue from where she stopped. So verse 13 says, For if, uh, sorry, verse 12 rather, neither by the blood of goats and calves, I'm reading King James Version, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge, up, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Praise God. So I write this for us to show us the fulfillment of what, of the practice that God instructed the um, Israelites in the book of Leviticus chapter 16. Remember that in Leviticus chapter 16, the priest would go in once a year to present blood, right, on behalf of the people. And so in the like manner, the Bible says Jesus Christ is our high priest. And he went once and for, once and for all into the tabernacle. So this, this is what it says, into the heavenly tabernacle. Um, if you look at verse, where are we now? Verse, um, just give me a minute. Okay, good. Verse 11 says, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, he says, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Meaning, where, where Christ went to present his blood, was it a tabernacle made of hands? It was a heavenly tabernacle. And he went to present his blood once and for all, unlike the priest who had to go year after year. Okay? And because of that presentation, we now have... In the sight of God, we are, made, we are justified. But what does that really mean? What is the implication of that? You know, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ came and he became a man, right, just like us. And in that state of being a man, he died and he shed his blood, right? And he, in shedding his blood, he took upon himself all our sin. And, and, and when he was killed, remember the Bible says the wages of sin is death. When he was killed, that death that has been hanging as a penalty for all of us, he paid it and justified it. It's just like saying, I mean, it's just like saying, I owe someone, I owe someone, you know, some money. And then I'm supposed to pay that money, but I don't have the money. And once someone comes and says, let's say a friend of mine comes and says, oh, Victor, you owe this man money, but you have not been able to pay. Okay, I will pay the, pay the money on your behalf, Okay. And when person does that, the debt the debt is cancelled. Now, once the debt is cancelled, the pe the the person I owed money can no longer come to me and say, "Victor, pay me my money," because the debt has been cancelled. 
in the in the court of justice, the, it has been cancelled. Whether I paid it directly or someone else paid it on my behalf, it has been cancelled. That is what Jesus Christ did. He represented all of us and died for all of us. And he presented that blood before the Father, who is the righteous judge, to show that that hanging penalty of death, right, has been paid for. And when we go further, I'll show you why he had to do that, because the enemy kept on accusing man because there was a reason, a, a legitimate reason for accusation. And once Jesus Christ paid that blood, the legitimate reason for accusation was cancelled because the penalty is almost like me saying, okay, in my example, the person, let's say his name is Mr. Jack. Mr. Jack that I'm owing money keeps, keeps on coming to me and says, you owe me money, you need to pay. Every money he comes to harass me, he keeps on harassing me. The moment my friend pays that money on my behalf, Mr. Jack no longer has the legal rights to come and harass me. And if Mr. Jack attempts to come and say, pay me my money, all I need to do is to remind him and show him the receipt that my friend has already paid this money, so you need to shut up. Do you get that? But however, Jesus Christ had to first show the blood to the Father. All right? Okay? And remember that in John chapter 2, I mean, we'll read it now, but just, just for reference sake. Remember John chapter 20, sorry. John chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus Christ appeared to Mary, and Mary was so happy. He wanted to run and go and, and, and you know, hug, hug him. But Jesus Christ said, no, no, don't touch me. He says, because I have not gone to your father, I have not gone to my father yet. What Jesus Christ was saying is that maybe you can't come and touch me yet because I am I have not yet presented my blood before the father. Remember that Jesus Christ, at this point, Jesus Christ had not yet appeared to everyone. Okay. But because of Mary's, you know, connection to Jesus and because of Jesus' empathy and, and because of the heart that Jesus Christ had for Mary, Jesus Christ had to had to make a detour on his trip to heaven. And he first appeared to Mary and said, Mary, I'm just appearing to you to show you that I am alive so that you calm down, so that all your crying and the rest will stop. However, don't come and touch me yet because I have, I have not yet presented myself before the Father. Remember that the high priest takes the blood and presents it in the holies of holies. That was what Jesus Christ was on his way to do when Mary's, Mary's empathy and compassion interrupted his trip. Okay? However, again, remember that it was only the high priest that could go and present the blood. And so it was only Jesus Christ that could go and present the blood, all right? So what I'm aiming at and what I want to emphasize here, first of all, is that the blood is first for God. God is the one that requires the blood. And when he sees the blood, he's satisfied. So the blood, first of all, satisfies the claims of divine justice and God being the chief judge of all the earth, okay? So when Jesus Christ presented the blood before, before God, God saw that now, that as a judge, this matter has been settled because the accusation was demanding death. Now, somebody has died, and this is the, the blood was the evidence that someone died. And that evidence was presented before the courts of heaven. And once the evidence was presented, it paid the, for the wages of sin, which was death. Praise God. I hope you understand that. All right, so we see an, 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 an illustration, an allegory in the book of Leviticus chapter 16. Now, I want to also see something else again, still regards the blood being towards Jesus Christ, and um, towards being God the Father, sorry. Um, let us read, let us read 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 to 8. If you are there, please read for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 7 to 8. 
If you are there, please read anyone, anyone helping us out. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, um, 7 to 8. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourself be cheated? Instead, you yourself are... Is that First Corinthians 5? Even your fellow believers. Um, Tosin, is that First Corinthians 5 verse 7? Sorry? Yeah, I read 7, 7 to 8. Um, okay, let me read my translation. I guess might be a difference in translation. So it says, Purge out therefore the old living, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unliving. Okay? It says, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old living, um, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the leaven, with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What, what I'm emphasizing here is in verse 7, where it says, for even Christ, our Passover. So the Bible refers to Christ as our Passover. Now, we need to understand what the Passover is, okay? To fully appreciate what Jesus Christ did for us, we need to understand what the Passover is about. However, take note that here, Paul refers to Christ as our Passover lamb, who was sacrificed for us, okay? But even before we go to see what the Passover is about, if you look at the book of um, Mark chapter 14, let me just read that quickly. You will see that it, the Passover was so prophetic um, about was so prophetic about what Jesus Christ was coming into the world to do. And so much so that even when Jesus Christ was crucified, he was crucified during the Passover feast. Okay. And we see Mark chapter 14. We see that in Mark chapter 14. I'll just read a couple of verses to, to just bring out this point. Mark chapter 14, verse 1 says, after two, after two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. So the Jews had a practice which God had instructed them that they should celebrate the Passover with unleavened bread. The Passover was a special feast acknowledging the, the miracle that, that occurred when God brought them out of Egypt. Okay, And so on that day, God says, says they should celebrate this feast with, the, um, with unleavened bread. So let me continue. He says, and the chief priests and scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. So this happened around the Passover. And if you go down to verse 12, um, the Bible says, and the, and the first day of the unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, where will thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And then God, Jesus Christ went, forth, went further on, to explain and give instructions to them. And if you read from that chapter 14 down, you see the, the train of events and how Jesus Christ was eventually crucified um, during that feast. So my point here is that Jesus Christ was crucified during the Passover. So what was the significance of the Passover and what does it represent you know, before God? So to understand that, let us go to Exodus chapter, um, Exodus chapter 12. Again, if you were with us when we did uh, the Bible study on, on, on prayers, the three dimensions of prayer, you would remember that we, we read this scripture. Exodus chapter 12, verse 12 to 14. Please read if you are there. Exodus chapter 12, verse 12 to 14. Anyone? Read for us quickly, please. 
And Exodus chapter 12, verse 12 to 14. Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. On the night that you eat the Passover meal, I will travel through the country of Egypt. I will kill every firstborn and every every firstborn son and every firstborn male animal. I will punish all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. When you put the blood around the doors of your house, that will be a sign to show that you live there. And when I see the blood on your house, I will pass over you. No trouble will hurt you when I attack the people of Egypt. In future years, you must remember this day as a special day every year. It will be a festival when you worship me, the Lord. You and your descendants must do this every year for all time. Praise God. So here, God gave an instruction to um, to the Israelites that would become a a um, it become a law and ordinance for them. And he, this was was what He gave gave to them right that night. He said, "You kill, you sacrifice the lamb." I mean, when you start reading from verse one, you you get a better picture. But when you sacrifice the lamb for you and your family, you take the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lintels of your of your windows. The reason he said this was that so that when the angel of death passes by, he would see the blood and he would not he would not enter into that house. Meaning every house that didn't have the blood will be visited by the angel of death. And remember what we said, the wages of sin is death. So what God was saying in essence was, if the angel of death comes and he sees blood on the doorpost of your house, the angel of death will know that death has already occurred here. That's why there is blood. And death cannot happen twice in a house. So he will pass over and go to another house where there is no blood. Meaning that the, the representation of blood shows that sin has already been paid for. Death has already, been, uh, has already occurred here. And so therefore, um, the angel of death doesn't have any, any access to this place anymore because death has already occurred. So um, I read this verse to show the, the um, similarity with what Jesus Christ, with what happened um, with Jesus Christ. The Bible refers to Jesus Christ as our Passover lamb. And what was the Passover lamb? The Passover lamb was the lamb that they sacrificed or, and whose blood they put on the doorpost so that death will no longer have um, access into their house. So for us, Jesus Christ has now died for us and we present the blood and he has presented the blood before God to say, this is the blood and the evidence that death has already, already occurred. So these people should be free from the consequences of death and of sin. Praise God. So the first, first direction that the blood goes toward is towards God because God is a righteous judge. God needed to balance, balance the events of life. And so Jesus Christ presented his blood and he balanced it out. Okay. And God himself says that the blood is enough. And if God says the blood is enough, right? Because remember where we just read in, in Exodus, he says, if I see the blood, I'll pass over, meaning the blood is, satis is satisfactory enough. And if God says the blood is enough, then I believe the blood is enough for every other person for the devil and for us, okay? But the first, first direction the blood is presented towards is um, towards God. Praise God. All right, so let's look at the next um, direction. So yes, God has been satisfied. He's okay, you know, there's no more um, injustice. Everything has been paid for. So what next? Uh, who next needs to be addressed? And the next person that needs to be addressed is the enemy. Because you see that... <clears throat> One of the okay, let's let's just read it. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. I'll I'll say what I want to say after I read this. 
Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. Um, Revelation chapter 12 verse 10. Please read if you are there. Revelation 12 verse 10. Um, Revelation 12 verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven that said, now God has saved his people from Satan's power. God has shown his great power as king. His special Messiah has shown his authority. Satan said bad things against our people. All day and all night, he continued to say bad things against believers. But now we have thrown him out of heaven. Praise God. So let me just read in the King James Version because of what I want to point out. <clears throat> He says, I'll read the last part. It says, For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. So, one of the, if we, if I put it, you say one of the ministries of, the, of, of Satan is accusation. And that is his most potent um, weapon, that of accusation. So, what the enemy does is accusing. In fact, the Bible says he accuses day and night. And that accusation, even till today, the enemy still seeks for grounds for legal grounds to accuse us. But before that, the enemy has always been has always had a legal um, right to accuse us because of the sin that Adam committed. And so, because of that sin, the Bible says again, the wages of sin is death. So the devil had a legal right to come and say, "Man, you must die. Man, you must die." There was always an accusation, and death death is not only the cessation of life, but death has has several other manifestations. And so always the enemy will come and say, will come and point accusing finger of death. But when Jesus Christ died, like I said again, the claims of divine justice was satisfied. And so the accuser, Satan, lost his legal grounds to accuse. Again, back to my example of being owed money. Um, if the person I was owing money, you know, before the money was paid, the person could always come and say, you need to pay money. He'll come and embarrass me, harass me. Maybe he sees me in the market square. He now shouts my name and say, hey, look at you, Victor. You, you are a debtor. You need to pay your money. And he just harasses me left, right, center. But then my friend comes and pays that money. The person that used to accuse me for owing money not can, doesn't have any legal right to do so again because the debt has been, the debt has been paid. Now, if tomorrow the person just feels like mocking me and, you know, for the fun of it, decides to mock me and says, oh, Victor, pay that money. I have every legal right to say, stop accusing me because the debt, debt has been paid. And I have evidence that the debt has been paid, okay? And that's exactly what happened to Satan. That he is the accuser of the brethren. He comes to accuse and to accuse and to accuse. But when Jesus Christ paid the blood, the blood was enough answer to him for that accusation. Praise God. And that is why, that is why the Bible says that the blood speaks, that's the blood of Jesus now, speaks better things than the blood of Abel. So the blood of Jesus has, has a greater, it has a greater, you know, what's the word now? It has greater authority, right, in responding to the accusations of the enemy, okay? I want to read some scriptures to show something. Um, Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17 um, Isaiah 54, verse 17. Just want to read this quickly for us. Isaiah 54, verse 17 says, No weapon formed against us. So it says, Let me read it exactly what it says. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise up against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. It says, This is the heritage of the saints 
of the Lord and their righteousness is of me, said the Lord. So meaning that two things happen here. There are weapons that are, are formed against you, but not just weapons, but there are also tongues that rise up in judgment. Those are tongues of accusation. And the way we silence tongues of accusation is by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because there is nothing the enemy can accuse you of that the blood of Jesus does not already answer. If the enemy comes and says to you, you know, when you are in the world, you look at you, you committed abortion. What makes you think that you uh, what makes you think that you would you will still have children? The Bible lets us know that it is the blood that answers that. If the enemy comes and says, Oh, look at you, when you're in the world, you used to steal. Now, what makes you think that you'll be prosperous? Um, uh, maybe, maybe, you know, the enemy can be very um, the enemy can be very deceptive and full of accusation. He comes and says that. Uh, maybe the reason why you've not gotten a job is because when you were in the world, you stole some money at some point and he begins to accuse you. The Bible says, let us know that it is the blood of Jesus that answers every accusation of the enemy. All right. And reason, why, why is that so? Because the blood speaks better. The blood speaks. What does the blood speak? The blood speaks, speaks liberty. The, the blood speaks justice. So when the devil comes and let me, let me say this to us, I, I'm going ahead of my notes, but let me just say this to us. That the enemy will come, the enemy is a tyrant. A tyrant means that he, he knows the right thing, he knows what is the legal thing, but he will still try to oppose that legal thing to see if you would or if you understand your rights in Christ. So the enemy comes and says, You did this, you did that, you did this, you did that, therefore, your life will have these problems. And he comes with, with such accusations in your life. You must know how to answer the enemy with the blood of Jesus Christ. Because if the blood is satisfactory enough for God, then there's nobody else that the blood cannot satisfy. And just like I've explained, the blood of Jesus balances the equation. Okay? All the demands of justice that the, that the devil has been crying, he says, justice, justice. The blood of Jesus Christ came and offered that justice on our behalf. So there's no legal right for any accusation. What that means is anytime the enemy comes to your heart and accuses you of maybe something you've done even in the past or maybe even very recently, go respond to him with the blood of Jesus Christ. Somebody said the, the blood of Jesus reminds, how do you say it now? The blood of Jesus reminds the enemy. So, so it says when, we, when the enemy comes to remind us of, how do you say it now? Um, anyways, I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but basically, in essence, the person was saying the blood of Jesus Christ reminds the devil that he could not be forgiven of his own sin, but we have been forgiven of our own sin, and um, it is a legal tender in, in, in the realm of the spirit. Okay, so the devil comes with accusation that is his name, he's the accuser. The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren, meaning you and I that have been saved, who have been bought and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the enemy will still find ways to come and accuse us. And when the enemy comes with an accusation, you must present the blood of Jesus Christ back to him, okay? Because the blood of Jesus is the evidence that whatever demands he's looking for has already been paid. The problem with a lot of Christians is that they are not aware or they, they don't carry in them the consciousness that the blood has already paid for me. So when the enemy comes with accusation, they begin to feel bad. You know, for instance, let's say a believer was in the world and... Um, let's say the, 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 before this person gave his life, or before this person gave her life to Christ, she was, you know, sleeping all around and committed abortion a couple of times. And then now she has given her life to Christ and she has gotten married. The enemy now comes with an accusation and says, "Look at you, you committed abortion three times before you got married. 
What makes you think that God will give you a child after you've killed children? And that, that sense of guilt and condemnation is in her heart. And the enemy is always accusing her, accusing her. What she needs to do in that situation is to go and present the blood of Jesus and says, yes, I committed this. Yes, I committed that. But the blood of Jesus is the payment for my sins. He is the payment for my wrongdoing. And because he has already paid, you don't have any legal right to accuse me again. That's the way, that's how we present the blood of Jesus Christ um, to the enemy, to the accuser, okay? So I said here that the blood of Jesus removes the legal basis for the enemy to accuse us. So just imagine a court session, right? The accuser is Satan. The accused is you and I. The advocate is Jesus. The advocate means the person who stands in between or who represents us, pretty much our lawyer. <clears throat> and then the righteous judge is God. And what the lawyer does is that he presents evidence, evidence for our liberty. And what is the evidence? The Bible says the evidence is the word of is, is the blood of, of Jesus Christ. Because he says there are three that bear witness. A wit, the, 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 the role of a witness is to present evidence. And since there are three that bear witness, he says the on earth, the blood, the, the spirit, the blood, and the water. Meaning part of the evidence that God um, that Jesus Christ, our, our lawyer, our advocate presents is his blood. His blood is the evidence of our liberty. So what you need to do is to know how to take that blood and present it to the enemy every single time he comes. Because the enemy will always will come time and again to accuse you. You need to know how to present the evidence of your liberty. If the enemy comes and says, what makes you think that you are going to... Uh, so, for example, taking the example I just gave, what makes you think you are going to have children after you've committed adultery? You bring the evidence and say the blood of Jesus is the evidence that the sins, the, the payment for my sins of um, abortion has already been carried out. Therefore, because it has been carried out, I am free from any accusation about what I did. That means I am free to have my children. So we must learn to present the blood of Jesus as evidence. The Lord will ask you, oh, what is the, what, what makes you, I mean, the enemy will come and say, what makes you think you will have a good marriage? Um, after you've, you've broke so many people's hearts, come and tell him, tell the enemy, this, the blood of Jesus is my evidence, okay? So whenever the devil comes to accuse us, we must bring the evidence of the blood of Jesus to him. It's just like when I go to, when you go to, to a supermarket, for instance, to purchase things, when you buy those things, they give you a receipt. The receipt is an evidence that you paid for what you purchased. So if somebody by the, let's say security, comes up to you and say and accuses you of stealing those things, you bring out your receipt and show him and say, look at the evidence that I bought this thing. So in the same way, the blood of Jesus Christ is the evidence that we have been bought by God, is the receipt. So when the devil comes with accusations, and let me tell you the truth, the devil will come with accusations several times in your life for things you have done, for things you did not do. There will be several accusations that enemy will come with. You must learn to present the blood of Jesus as sufficient evidence for your liberty. Because according to, Jesus, to God and in the sight of God, the blood of Jesus is enough. If God, himself, if God himself is satisfied by the blood, then that is enough evidence for your liberty. Praise Jesus. So we present the blood of Jesus Christ as an evidence, as a receipt for our payment. I'll just read one more scripture, then I'll move on to the last thing. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. 18 and 19, you can read for us if you are there. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. All right? Anyone there? First Peter 1, 18 and 19. 
Okay, let me read. <clears throat> it says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corrupt, corruptible, corruptible things as silver and gold for your, from your vain conversation. Um, vain conversation here means your, your vain lifestyle or your vain way of living. It says, um, received by tradition from your father. So Paul here was saying that you are aware and you know that God did not, he did not pay for you. you know, re to redeem means to pay for something, to pay for something, to get it back. So Paul was saying, God didn't pay for you to, to get you back to him by, by silver or by gold or by dollars or by pounds or by naira. No, he didn't pay for you with any human currency, things that could perish. He went further to say that, Rather, you bought with the precious blood of Christ as, a, as of a lamb without bl blemish and without spot. So when God paid for you, he paid with the blood of the lamb. Remember what I told you that in the realm of the spirit, the only legal tender recognizes blood. There is no, your, 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 your payment and rest is not, doesn't count. The legal tender that counts is blood. And so God paid for you with his own blood. And that same blood serves as evidence of being purchased. So when the enemy comes and says, oh, we are going to fail, tell the devil, keep quiet. I have evidence of my victory. The enemy comes and tells you, uh, um, you are going to, you're not going to have a successful business or a successful marriage, or you're not going to have children. Or he comes and says, you remember that thing you did when you were 15 years old? Now it is haunting you. You come and present him and says, I have evidence through the blood of Jesus of my liberty. Praise God. So the second direction we, we present the blood towards is towards the enemy because he's the accuser. We present it to him as an evidence of our liberty in Christ Jesus. Amen. So lastly, um, what direction do we need to present the blood? The last direction we need to present the blood is towards us. Okay? So present the blood first towards God, towards the enemy, and then lastly, presenting the blood, the blood towards us. And why do we have to do so? Because... Um, ah, I need to read. Okay, okay, you know, let, let me explain before I read the scripture. You know, when man sinned, yeah, the Bible says that he, um, first of all, we know that the Spirit of God left him, and then um, he adopted the sin nature, and also he had this guilt and condemnation, right? And he was he was trying to make amends by his own by him, his own self. And that's why he went and took leaves and tried to cover himself. That was his own attempt to cover his shame because he was now aware of that shame and that guilt. So he made an attempt to cover that shame. But God came and, and looked at him and said, no, you see, that, the leaves you use to cover yourself. After some days, it will dry up. So what God did was that God killed an animal, took the skin of the animal and covered, himself, covered him. That action was prophetic of what Jesus Christ will do for us. Remember what man was trying to, the Bible says that when man sinned, um, God came to the garden. Um, I don't want to read it, but just read Genesis chapter 3. You'll find what I'm talking about there. That when man sinned, he was ashamed. And when God came to him God, um, and he was hiding, man told God that I was naked and ashamed. That's why I hid. And God said, who told you uh, you were naked? And the conversation proceeded from then. Meaning that one of the things that happened with the fall of man was that he became ashamed and he became you know, he tried to cover his own shame. And that would, that's, so when, when God killed the animal, what God was doing was showing a, was showing prophetically what Jesus Christ would do. That when Jesus Christ would be killed, remember Jesus Christ was, was, a, was a Passover lamb, right? When Jesus Christ would be killed, 
He alone will be sufficient to cover our shame. And that shame is a result of, 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 um, of sin, the result of guilt that comes in our hearts. So now we know that the blood of Jesus Christ has been shed for us, right? However, so may, many times when, as believers now, not as unbelievers, as believers, when we commit error, when we commit sin, there's a, 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 there's a shame that, and, and guilt that covers our hearts. Because when we come to Christ, our conscience becomes alive, all right? And because our conscience is alive, we are aware of when we are aware of when we do wrong. I mean, that's a healthy mechanism. If your conscience is alive, whenever you do wrong, you are, your conscience pricks you. But at the same time, your conscience can become a hindering um, factor in your life. So the conscience can keep on reminding you of the wrong you've done and of the, of the sin you've committed, and it becomes a channel of guilt upon your heart. So the blood of Jesus Christ now comes to answer in that regard. Okay? So now let's read the scripture I wanted us to read. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, we will start reading from verse 18. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. Um, this is the last um, last point before we close today. Please, by the way, if you have any question, um, you can note it down or drop it in the comments section. And we'll look at it together. So Hebrews chapter, what did I say? Hebrews chapter 12, yes. Um... From verse 8. Hold on, hold on, hold on. There's something. Is it Hebrews chapter 12? Please give me a minute. I think I missed the scriptures up. Um, uh oh. Please give me a minute. I have missed the scriptures up. It's not Hebrews chapter 12. It's. um. It's Hebrews, Hebrews chapter, this should be chapter, okay, hmm. this is Hebrews chapter, please you guys pardon me, I think I mixed my scriptures up, I just want to figure it out, there are two different scriptures, um, 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 this should be chapter nine, actually. Um, the best. Okay. So, sorry, Hebrews chapter nine. Yes. Hebrews chapter nine, verse. Let's start reading from verse. I mean, we read the scripture earlier on. But I want us to go back to it again. Chapter 9, verse... Let us start reading from verse 12. So someone should please read for us Hebrews chapter 9 from verse 12. From verse 12 to verse 14. Hebrews chapter 9, verse from verse 12 to verse 14. All right, anyone there should please read for us. Hebrews chapter 9 from verse 12 to 14. Someone should please read for us. Verse 12. Yes, please. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all, once for all time, and secured our redemption forever. Mm -hmm. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of 
Ifa could cleanse people's bodies and ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Praise God. Um, thank you so much. So I like the way this transition, this translation says, um, how much more will, will, um, will the blood of Jesus Christ, you know, cleanse us from the, from the, from an evil conscience or from the conscience of sin. And you see, when man was cast out of the garden, one of the hindrances he had was that evil conscience or that guilty conscience. So every time man came to worship, there was still this guilt of his sin that was upon him. And what the blood of Jesus Christ now does is, is what, what we just read here. He says that the blood of bulls and, and hype and all of that was, was not sufficient enough to take away um, to take away this guilt. All right. But he says, verse 14, he says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Um, dead works here means an evil conscience, as you read in other translation, or a or a guilty conscience, meaning one of the major hindrances in our fellowship with God is that our consciences are burdened with guilt. So somebody, for instance, a believer, um, you know, goes into sin and commits a sin, and then he comes to ask God for forgiveness, yes. He knows that the blood of Jesus Christ has forgiven him, yes. However, his conscience is still guilty from the act that he committed. It is that same blood that, that purchased our salvation, right, that also answers to our guilty conscience. And that's what the writer of Hebrews was saying, that if the blood, right, of Booth and Hyphas could, um, could, could make clean the, for the purifying of the flesh, then it says how much more the blood of Jesus would also not just clean us from sin, but also take care of our guilty conscience. Praise Jesus. So if anyone, a believer, for instance, you know, commits sin and he's guilty, it is the same blood of Jesus Christ that, that cleanses that, um, cleanses that uh, um, consciousness of guilt. Praise God. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. That's where I wanted to, um, to find. Right? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 18. And I will just read, read it for us quickly. I'll read from verse 18 um, down a couple of verses. So it says, verse 18. Now, where remission of this is, there is no more offering for sin. Verse 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. I won't take a pause here. The Bible says that the reason why we can enter into the holiest of holy is not because of anything we have done. The Bible says we have boldness by the blood of Jesus. And this is where I think a lot of times Christians have a problem. For instance, and just like what I said, for instance, somebody sins, a Christian now commits a sin. And because of that sin, his conscience pricks him, right? He's guilty of what he does. But he, that guilt now, re, I mean, restrain, refrains him, or that, that guilt restrains him from going to God in prayer, from going into the Holy of Holies to meet with God. And the believer feels guilty and says, oh my God, I've sinned against God. I don't want to go before God. I feel like I am, you know, just the same way Adam did. He was hiding away from God. And so the believer says, no, I'm hiding from God. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to fellowship with God. I'm not going to worship God. And that guilty conscience stops him from going into the holies of holies. But the Bible says that we don't go into the holiest by our own confidence. We go into the holiest based on the confidence of the blood of Jesus. 
Meaning there is nothing you will do, whether good or bad, that will actually stop you from entering to the presence, and I'll actually stop you from entering to the holies of holies. It is also in the same way that there's nothing you will do, and no matter the good you've done, there's nothing you will do that can qualify you from entering into the holies of holies. The, re the only qualification we have to approach God is the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the only qualification, meaning that even if you have been good, you've been so righteous, doing the right thing all through the months, the past months, it still does not qualify you for entering um, the presence of God or for coming before God. The only thing that qualifies us for, for coming before God is the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says we do this with confidence. What that also means is that even if you just finish committing, and I'm, I'm going to say some things boldly, right? And I want you to, to just listen. Even if a believer finishes committing a sin right now and his conscience pricks him and says, you have committed a sin, that believer with that conscious, con um, consciousness of sin should go into the prayer, into the holies of holies, go and pray to God and say, and come to God in, in the place of prayer because it is only the place of prayer that he can receive forgiveness of, for his sins. It is only the place of prayer that God can help him overcome the temptation that he fell into. It is only the place of prayer that he can fellowship with God and get back into unity with God. So if he doesn't come into that fellowship with God, there is no solution for him. You get what, you get what I'm saying, right? So the believer should go with the blood of Jesus as his confidence, not your actions. A lot of times believers weigh, their, weigh how good they've been. You know, you know, there's this song that we sing um, during, Christ, um, during Christmas. It says, um, Santa Claus is coming to town. You, you better be good. You better be nice. You, what, what does Lyric say again? Uh, some, some, something, because Santa Claus is coming to town. So basically the song is saying, if you do good, good deeds, then Santa Claus will come and give you gifts. That is not how the blood of Jesus Christ works. Works. Whether you have done good or bad, it doesn't affect the integrity of the blood. You can always come with confidence before God by the blood of Jesus Christ. All right? So back to where we are, verse, um, verse 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Okay? By a new and living way, verse 20, which he had consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say his flesh. Verse 21 says, and having an high priest over the house of God, take note of verse 22, it says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So we are coming to God, not on our own righteousness, but in the assurance of faith that the blood of Jesus Christ presents. He says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, that is a guilty conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. I'm going to explain I'm going to explain what this means. It says that, first of all, we come with full assurance of faith. So if a believer, you know, commits sin, for instance, his heart pricks him, he feels condemned, his conscience, you know, is guilty of, of committing wrong. And by the way, if I continue, let me just state for the record that I am not encouraging a believer commit, um, living in sin or committing sin perpetually when sin becomes the person's lifestyle. No, <clears throat> that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that a believer is working and making progress with God and, and once in a while or here and there, the believer falls into temptation. Now, if the believer does not understand the work of the blood of Jesus, what will happen is that condemnation will weigh the believer down and the believer will not be able to continue in his Christian work or work of faith with God. So in such cases where the believer falls into temptation, 
the Bible says that we come with full assurance, right? And then you now say that with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Remember, the Bible mentions the sprinkling of blood, right? And if you read um, read uh, Leviticus, you see that the high priest will go into the holies of holies to sprinkle blood, and he will sprinkle that seven times. So in that same manner, the Bible says that our hearts should be sprinkled with blood. What is that sprinkling with blood? The sprinkling with blood is the consciousness of our forgiveness, right, in Christ Jesus. The consciousness of the fact that Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sin. If a believer falls into temptation, Jesus Christ is not going to come down to die on the cross of Calvary for that sin he just created. No, just, uh, he just committed, sorry. Jesus Christ had already paid for that sin. So what the believer does is to, is to appropriate the blood of Jesus that is already available for that sin that he committed. And once the blood is appropriated, then there is forgiveness of sin, okay? And he says that our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, right? And then he says our bodies washed with water. Now, what is this? Uh, what does it mean when he says our bodies washed with water? I, I want to explain this to you now. Go to Ephesians. Sorry. So before we even move to that, right? Okay. Yeah, let's go there. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's just go there right away. Ephesians chapter 5 um, will round up very soon. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25. I just want to show you, this is in practice now. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. You are there, please read for us. I'm trying to find 25, 27. Okay, let me read it. It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. It says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So when he says, our and our bodies washed with water, this is what he's referring to. He says, uh, the washing of water... Um, the washing of water by the word. So what does this mean in practice? So for instance, a believer falls into temptation. He feels sad. His conscience pricks him. He feels guilty. What he should do first is to go to God, right? Go to God and confess that particular wrong he has done. So let's say the believer lies, for instance. Go to God and confess God and say, God, I lied about this matter. I lied about this in the office. I lied about this to my wife. I lied about this to my um, brother or my sister, you confess your wrong before God, okay? And then the next thing you do is you acknowledge that the blood of Jesus has paid that price for you. So you say, Lord, I have done this wrong. I, I, I ask for forgiveness because of what the blood has done. So you are receiving forgiveness, not because of something God will do in the future, but because of what he has already done, and that is the blood, okay? Now, when you have done that, you've confessed your sin, before God and receive the forgiveness by the blood. Don't just stop there. Because you see, even though the blood has been has paid for you, yet your heart can still, you know, feel that guilt. And so when you confess what the blood has done for you, okay, the Bible says, I need to go back to the scripture now. Verse 22 says, our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. So that sprinkling of the blood is what relieves our conscience from guilt. But you also need to go further, take a further step. And it says, our bodies washed with pure water. And what we just read, it says, the washing of the water by the word. So what you do after that is, so that you can gain confidence in following God, you begin to declare your righteousness in, God, in Christ Jesus. So your con declaration of the, of, of the work of Jesus Christ is what it means by the washing of your bodies with water. Do you get that? 
So you wash your body by confessing and declaring what Jesus Christ has done for you. Not your own righteousness now, but the righteousness of Christ Jesus. You declare to yourself that, see, let, let, let me tell you the truth. If somebody right now just finished, if a believer, right, let's say just finished masturbate, masturbating, and his, his conscience pricks him and he's guilty, and his heart says that, oh, you've committed wrong, and he's sorrowful, that believer should go to God immediately, not, not in the next one hour, listen to me, immediately go to God and confess what you have done before God. Confess it as a sin and receive the forgiveness of, of, of your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ and let your heart be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Then you now immediately, oh, that same moment, you begin to declare that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The devil will come and tell you that, what do you mean? You just finished masturbating. You just finished lying. You just finished committing sin. What do you mean you are the righteousness? You tell him, yes. I am righteous not because of anything I have done. I am righteous because of what Jesus has done for me. So I am declaring over my life the righteousness of Christ Jesus. So you declare what God has done for you. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because of the work of Jesus, I stand holy. I stand, I stand blameless before God. Your mind will start telling you, what do you mean you stand blameless? The last one hour, you just told a lie to somebody. Uh, last week, you stole something. What do you mean you're, you're, you're righteous? You tell your mind that you are not righteous because of what you have done. You are righteous because of the blood of Jesus and the work that Jesus Christ has done for you. So you must declare over your consciousness, okay, the righteousness of God. If you don't declare over your consciousness the righteous of, righteousness of God, what will happen is that after you confess your sin and receive forgiveness, when you go back, you become yourself feeling afraid. Hey, will I, will I fall into this temptation again? Will I still fall into this sin again? You now become sin conscious. But when you begin to declare the righteousness of God, you are, more, you are conscious and aware of the victory that God has given to you in Christ Jesus. Do you get what I'm saying? I hope that was clear enough. So you, yes, you confess your sins. You receive what the blood has done, but you also declare the word. Okay? So let me wrap up quickly with this. Um, <clears throat> verse 22. Okay, let, verse 21 says, And having an high priest, so this is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a heart in full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It says, um, okay, yeah, I've, 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 I've read that. So I want to just go back to Ephesians 5. That's, that's the last thing I want to bring out. Um, Ephesians 5, where we just read. It says, um, quickly, Ephesians 5, verse 20, 20. Let's read verse 25 again. It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might cleanse, he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. Verse 27 says that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or wrinkle rather, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So Paul was saying that God wants to present us, you know, without having spot and wrinkle. What does that mean? When he says spot and wrinkle, remember Paul was writing to the church, he was not writing to an unbeliever. He was writing to an unbeliever would have said, oh, spot and wrinkle simply means um, repent and, and God will forgive you and become saved. That's the end of it. But no, Paul was not writing to, uh, to unbelievers. He was writing to believers. And even in writing to believers, he said that God wants to present us without spot and wrinkle. So what does it mean for a believer when he says without spot or without wrinkle? 
this is what it means. You know, take for instance, yeah, somebody, yeah, take for instance now, someone is walking, and while walking, a car passes by and splashes water in him, on, on him. His clothes will have spots. His clothes will have, <clears throat> will have dirt, right? When he goes home, he puts the clothes in the washing machine, um, or he washes the clothes with his hand, whichever one, and with the clothes is washed and the stain is gone, okay? The stain is gone. However, the clothes can still be squeezed, can still be wrinkled, even though the stain has gone. Are you with me? Now, what this means is for, for a believer, as we walk on the earth, Sometimes we pick up death here and there. We pick up, you know, we fall into temptation. We get spots on our on our garments, on our white garments. And then what, what, what happens now is we go to God and we confess, just like I said, confess your wrongdoing and receive the forgiveness of the blood of Jesus Christ. What that does is that it washes away the sin. However, even though the sin is washed away, your garment can still be wrinkled. But the Bible says God wants to present God wants to present us without spots and without wrinkle. So what is that wrinkle there? That wrinkle it represents your guilty conscience and your um, guilty conscience and your sin consciousness. So even though you have received the blood of Jesus that has washed away the sin, yet you need to straighten out that wrinkle. And how do you straighten out that wrinkle? Exactly what I just said. You declare over yourself what God, what Jesus Christ has done for you through his death and resurrection. That is the way you iron out that wrinkle so that you, your garment is without spot and it is without wrinkle. Do you understand? So if a believer you know, falls in temptation and after um, repenting and asking for forgiveness and receiving the blood of the work of the blood of Jesus, what he should do is to go back and say, Lord, I, he should declare to himself, I declare that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Jesus Christ lives in me, therefore I am holy. He should declare everything that Jesus Christ has done for him. And that is how your conscious, the sin consciousness will leave you. And also the consciousness of guilt will, will depart from you. Praise God. All right, so we have to stop here. Um, let me just summarize what I've said. I first said that um, the blood of Jesus Christ was special because it, it did not contain sin. And it did not contain sin because it was not the union of the man and woman. Right? We explained that in the beginning. Then the blood of Jesus Christ is in, I mean, addresses three directions. The moment it says, we said it addresses towards God. So the, the legal payment for all, for the wrong of man was accomplished before the righteous judge who is God. And so when, when God sees the blood, as, as God saw the blood, he says, this blood is enough. And that settles it for him. Number two is that he addresses the accuser, the devil. The devil, the devil is, um, Satan is referred to as the accuser of the brethren. And every time it comes with accusation, our response should be presenting the blood of the blood of Jesus Christ as our evidence. And number three, towards us, because the, the consciousness of guilt and of sin can overwhelm us when we fall in temptation. So we present the blood of Jesus Christ and say the blood of Jesus Christ is enough. In fact, First John chapter 3, verse 20 says, if your heart condemns you, you need to remember that God is greater than your heart. So if a believer falls into temptation and his heart is condemning him for that wrong that has happened, he needs to remember that God is greater than that than his heart that is condemning him. Praise God. So the blood of Jesus Christ answers three fronts. The answers, answers God, answers Satan, and answers your heart. Praise Jesus. All right, so we're going to stop now. Um, is there any question anyone wants to ask? Any part that wasn't clear enough or you had a question 
you know, you always had a question about the blood of Jesus and you want to ask it now, just quickly before we go. Anyone with a question for us? Anyone with a question for us? We The floor is open um, to questions. Anyone, anyone, anyone about the blood of Jesus Christ? Hmm. Okay. So does this mean, does this, and I want, I want a response, response from us. So does this mean we understood everything that was explained? If that's the case, give a thumbs up or just drop something in the chat. Let me see. Are you with me? Okay. Faith gives it, is giving a thumbs up. All right. Um, anyone else? So else just wants to confirm that everything has been said, you understand it. Okay, Tosin, thumbs up, thank you. So if I don't see a thumbs up from you, that means you have a question and I'm going to call you out for a question. Okay, Tumi says yes, okay, great. Um, anyone else with a question? No? Okay, thumbs up from Emily, okay. Okay, so I'm seeing a couple of thumbs up, but a lot of, so there are some people that haven't given thumbs up, that means you have a question, okay? So that's my assumption. So, okay, Lola, I was about calling Lola to ask her question. Okay, thumbs up from Lola. Um, so no thumbs up from Umaru or Chioma or, okay, just with Femi. Okay, he's asking his question. Okay, okay, thumbs up from Ayo, Ayo Mikun. Um, okay, so um, Emmanuel, Emmanuel Umaru, do you want to ask a question? Chioma, do you have a question you want to ask? Um, Niyi, do you have a question for us? Uh, I'm not sure I saw a thumbs up from you. Um, Cecil, do you want to ask a question? So the floor is open. Just for me. Okay, Mario gives a thumbs up. Okay, Chawa gives a thumbs up. Okay, good. So just for me says... Okay, so I'm not sure I, the question is complete yet. Well, when the question is complete, I'll, I'll read it out to us. All right, so... While we wait for that question, tell me one thing you learned today that you would, you know, that you go back to practice or that you go back to, um, you know, that you would meditate on. Just one thing you learned today. Um, anyone can go first. Just one thing you learned today before we close. Should I call someone to help us? Okay, Tosin, please go first. Okay, um. Umaru says death cannot occur twice. Okay, that's something he learned today. Awesome. Thank God for that. Tosin, do you want to share with us what you learned today? Tosin, are you there? Okay, Tosin is not there. Um, Cecil. Okay, Tosin, he will type. Okay, that's fine. Cecil, do you want to share with us one thing you learned today? Cecil, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. Can you All hear right. me? Yeah, I can. Um, from the topic, the significance of um, the work of the of the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, it was I didn't come in on time, but I was trying to pen down what you said when you were doing your recap. And that was towards God and towards the accuser, the devil, and towards us. And I, I learned basically the significance of, of the blood of Jesus Christ. 
answering answering to Jesus, answering to God, and then to the devil, and then to us, and helping us understand where we where we stand. And okay, I also learned the process that goes through from from the start where you fall and uh, where you feel free, like you've been forgiven. And the way you broke it down was was quite insightful. When you ask for forgiveness and you still feel like you haven't been forgiven um, to the point where you actually feel like you're forgiven. And I, I like the way you explained it. Basically, us understanding what the blood of Jesus Christ has done for us. And I feel like in, in the future situation where I, I feel like I have fallen short, I understand the process of asking for forgiveness. And yes, you did explain that we are not going to, we're not supposed to live in the life of sin. It's not, it's not a, um, a revenue for us to live in sin, but just for us not to let the weight of sin keep us down. Mm. Yeah, that's what I learned. Praise awesome, God. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, um, Cecil. So let me read um, what's what's in the chat. Um, let me start. Okay, so hmm, just for me, your question, right? Let me read it together. It says, so I want to ask, in a situation whereby you had fully, you had fully faith of a personal thing. Okay, I'm not sure I get that. Then you continue by saying, um, um, then the stuff doesn't come through. So basically, you had faith for a particular thing, all right? And then the stuff doesn't come through, and you feel heavy in your heart, making you feel down, and you go drinking. Does that belittle the work of God in one's life? Because in all situations, we suppose, we're supposed to give thanks, but at that moment, you were hard on yourself and all. So does it belittle our faith in God? Okay, so just for me, I honestly would want you to explain this question because I'm not sure I fully get it. So if you don't mind speaking up to explain the question, it will help us understand better. Right? Okay, well, again, I don't know if you're in a place where you can talk, but from your question, it sounds like you, so you're saying someone fully believed God for something, um, it, it didn't happen, and the person felt sad and felt down, and the person went drinking, Okay. And then you say, you're asking, does that belittle the work of God in one's life? So first of all, yeah, um, I'll try to answer this question, you know, based on my understanding of the question. First of all, there's nothing. Okay, I can hear you now, yeah. So the reason why I ask this question is because you said something about um, people that maybe lie and then you lie and then the devil comes to you and you're saying, I know the one that just lied. Why are you trying to say you're the one of the Lord of God? So in such situations whereby you are drinking and the devil is like, yes, I told you not to believe it or something like that. So in such cases, you know, you may try to, you know, try to lift up yourself and this voice does come out like, oh, go and drink, your body will be calm and uh, stuff like that. So I want to know if the both relate together. Okay. Um, so in... Okay, so, so let, let, me, let me answer it this way. So if someone, for instance, using, using the example you gave, you know, someone goes you know, into drinking because of something that has happened, and then the enemy comes and decides to accuse the person for that drinking, or, and even probably wants to lure the person to go back into that same drinking um, circle of drinking. 
Um, just like I said, and just like the example I gave, you, the pattern is still the same. You go back to God, repent, um, ask for forgiveness, receive the work of the blood of Jesus Christ, and declare your righteousness in God. You know, the, the work that Jesus Christ did, right, there is nothing that can undo it. That's the first thing you need to, you need to understand. That the, work of, the work that Jesus Christ did is an eternal work. So if a believer falls into temptation, right, falls into sin, right, and falls into temptation, it doesn't reduce the power of what Jesus Christ did. And that's why we always still go back to declare the, the works of the, the finished works of Jesus Christ over our hearts after receiving forgiveness for our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. So it is still the same, um, the same pattern, right? I hope that answers your question. Okay, so to me here says, to me says, um, okay, what she learned that even though our hearts still torment us after we have confessed our sins, we should believe that God is greater and he has forgiven us our sins. Yes, um, exactly. Tosin says, in any situation when the devil reminds you of your past, cause of a difficulty you are currently facing, always present the blood of Jesus Christ as an evidence of your liberty. Perfect and awesome. All right. Um, so I'm going to close now, but is there anything anyone wants to say for one, one person before we go? Was there something someone wanted to say before we go? Uh, we want to drop in the chat, or you just want to go ahead and say it quickly before we close. All right, so nothing. Okay, that's fine. So yeah, um, let's go in this consciousness, right? Remember that the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful. And um, it's powerful towards God, towards the enemy, and towards our conscience. Praise God. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for all that your blood has done for us, all that it has purchased for us. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. We are grateful, Lord, for, for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, and the blood that was shed for us on the cross of Calvary, and how that blood answers to God, answers to the devil, answers um, even our conscience. Lord, we say thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask, Holy Spirit, as we go from here, you help us to be conscious of um, the work of your blood in our lives, and you help us to appropriate what the blood has done for us in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, everlasting Father. So you be all the glory and all the praise for in Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. Um, please join us next week. Same time, same link, um, same, what else again? Same everyone. Oh, one quick thing before we go. Please, is there anyone joining us here for the first time? If this is your first time with us, can you just, um, you know, let us know um, who invited you and where you're joining us from? Anyone here who's his first time, who invited you and what city or what state you're joining us from? Anyone, anyone first time here? Um, I think I see Emmanuel. Emmanuel, um, Umura, I'm guessing it's your first time with us. Do you want to share with us where you're joining us from and who and who invited you here? Okay, okay, I see it in chat. First time I saw the link, saw the link on my status. Okay, what's what state are you joining us from? What city or what state are you joining us from? <coughs> um, let's know in the chat what city you're joining us from. Okay, anyone else? All right, no. Joining from Akure on those state. Awesome. Please let's welcome Emmanuel. Today is his first time. I say welcome to him. Um, um, welcome to Bible study. All right. You're welcome, Manuel. 
Okay, so yeah, next week we'll meet same time. Please invite someone um, as you come along and God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful night um, or wonderful day, depending on your time. Bye.